Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to season two of the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. So I'm having a really great conversation today with David Mead, and you're going to learn about his love for leadership And I do believe he lives in the state of Utah because we had a beautiful conversation last week. And that is one of my favorite places on earth. And I'm going to change it up today. I'm still going to ask him some questions, but, you know, we started off in this great conversation. So for all of the entrepreneurs that are listening, and I'm speaking to coaches and consultants and whatever you want to call yourself, we're talking about when life gets hard when self-employment is hard and, and how you get out of that valley and, and David share with us, you know, we're talking about human leadership here. You're, you're a big encourager of propelling people to do better, but be better. So how can you turn the lens back on self? How do you coach yourself when you're in the valley? It's an interesting question. Actually, I have just in the last couple of weeks started doing more of sort of a a thoughtful approach to my day rather than just kind of diving in and checking off the, the checklist. Um, and I've been going through a series of questions and the quick little plug for Brendan Burchard and his high performance uh, habits. But one of the questions that I answer myself every morning is if I was a high performance coach, looking at my life from a high level, I would tell myself to remember that. And what I wrote down this morning, I think answers your question pretty well. Worrying about what's already happened or what hasn't yet happened is a distraction to what I can do now. I don't know. I think when I get into those valleys, I, I find myself replaying all the stuff that hasn't worked and wishing that my last week, year, month, whatever had been better than it was. And then worrying about, well, shoot, if things don't turn around pretty quick, then in a week, in a month, in a year, this is going to happen. But none of that even matters because I can't change that. And that hasn't happened. So why am I worrying about it? It's one of my favorite conversations that I have with my clients. Your best cognitive address is the present moment. And it's, and it's, it's, it's exactly the wheelhouse, the, the point of reference of of what you're talking about. We can't even change five minutes ago. And, you know, one of the last things my dad said to me before he passed away and I was, I was at the tender age of 21 You know, the the old cliche, 99% of what you're going to worry about in your life, it'll never even come true. Just stay in the 1%. I know it's hard and it's, and people say, oh, you know, it's really hard. And, you know, it's that, it's that morning routine. It's that mindset. And we can't be good to our clients if we don't put ourselves to the front of the line to model our own behavior and our own advice. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that we can't share with our clients life when it happens, but you know, my first question is, I know your mom really had influence on you because I like how you have a tribute to her on your website Uh and you'd be going over to your friends and she'd say, teach them something today. 
And, and you laugh about that as a boy, but I really think it has a predominance of who you are today. And, and how do you think you've carried that forward? Because look at the work that you're doing in human leadership and think back to that young boy. Where has that carried you? Oh my gosh. Like it's carried me to probably being really annoying to a lot of people. I think if, if nothing else, I internalized it to where when I am going somewhere or doing something, the mindset is what can I teach myself? What can I learn from this? What can I get out of this? And it ties in really interestingly, actually, to this conversation we're having about, you know, when we're in the valley, when things get tough, rather than, you know, getting frustrated or throwing up my hands. And granted, like I do a little bit of that, because let's be honest, it's not always easy not to. But I always think, okay, what am I supposed to be learning? What can I get out of this? How can I do better? How can I be better? And that's really where that do better and be better has come from. And my mom wasn't perfect. I mean, I think she almost, she almost was disciplinary to a fault. Um, and so I think she might've, you know, swung a little bit too far to one direction, but I'd like to think that I've gained a healthy balance of that, but it, it's like, I don't know perfectly, but when I'm on my A game, really, that's my intent is like, how do I elevate people? How do I encourage them? How do I help them to do a little better and be a little better and to learn something? Or how do I help the light go on? How do I give them something to think about where they can improve and be a little bit better than they were yesterday? It's just like, it's, it's so ingrained. It's just so who I am now. And I, I think we all have something from our upbringing or our childhood that we can relate to and anchor in our life. And I also think we're so inundated with information. On the weekend, I was reading uh, an article on uh, Medium, and it was saying how what we are exposed to now in a 24-hour period people from 100 years ago, it would be their lifetime. So it's blocking out that noise and, and getting to one of my favorite words on earth, equanimity. When we can bring mental calmness and composure into our being, and we're mm -hmm. going to talk about this, there's only room for clarity because we can't do and be if we got a mind of chaos. Yeah. It's so important. So my second question has permanent residence on the show. Share with us what imperfections David brings to his heart-centered leadership. Oh, I remember you warning me about this and I asked you, are you sure we only have 45 minutes? Which I'm sure is a common answer initially to that question. Um, that's a really good question. And I probably should have thought about that. And you know what I love about this? This is such an imperfect moment. It's exactly it what we promote on the show. It's, it's the name of the show. Yeah. What's the most number one frustrating imperfection? Think about where you are right now and what we've just been talking about this morning. I think the, the worry I have that what I'm bringing isn't enough, whether it be like the materials that I'm handing out, like, are they not good enough? Are they not complete enough? Are they not congruent enough with my brand? Or, you know, what am I missing? Like, what, what could I be going deeper on that I'm not? I always feel like the imperfection that I bring is a lack of completeness, for better or worse. It's amazing. And it's authentic. And it's vulnerable. And it's transparent. And thank you for sharing your heart. Because how many people would come on a podcast and say, you know, I really love what I do and I'm handing out this stuff. 
And I can say wholeheartedly, who doesn't feel like that throughout the trajectory of their life? So know that, you know, we're approaching 150 leaders on the show. Know that you're in really good company. Hmm. Know that you're not alone. It just gives you the ability for what you do in your line of work and human leadership to dig deeper into that because you're not the only person out there that feels like that. That's imposter syndrome 101 right there. And that's what I was going to say first is imposter syndrome. But you know what? I, on that, it was really interesting. A couple of weeks ago, I attended a, a mastermind group first time. And there was a, a guy sitting next to me who was running the session. And he brought up such an important point about imposter syndrome, because it's one of the things that I brought up of what I struggle with. And he said, um, if you're not feeling imposter syndrome, then there's something wrong with you. Because it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter what you will do in the future. Right now, nobody has been in this moment navigating this exact moment that you're navigating. And we're all winging it. So we're all imposters. And I thought, wow, that's a really interesting way to think about it. So we should all be feeling imposter syndrome because right now we're doing something we've never done before. We're having a conversation on a pod. I've done hundreds of podcasts, but I haven't had this done. I haven't done this one. I haven't answered these questions. I haven't dealt with you or your personality. Like I'm figuring it out as I go. This is the first time I've ever done this. You know what I mean? And what I love about what you just said is when we embrace who we are in the present moment, we're never alone. We are always in good company. We just have to reach out and find it. Mm. I always find in those moments of lack of clarity, because I don't consider them chaos because I meditate every day and I do yoga. And that's just my other world that I do for me because we're thought leaders, David. We need clarity and we cannot give clarity, have clarity, coach our clients if we don't have that clarity. And that's why I'm very stringent, structured, if you will, for a better word, uh, with how many clients that I coach in a day because I have to show up on my A game. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not going to be on my A game, I rebook and I give them complete transparency. And we are still navigating unprecedented times. So there's a sense of winging it because we don't have a resource to go look and say, oh, well, what do we do during a global pandemic? We weren't yeah. alive. So, you know, I just think this is such a wholehearted conversation that we're having today. And, and I love that you brought your A game to say, this is kind of where I'm at today. And it's kind of, I'm in the mud and it's kind of shitty. And yeah, we can say that on this show. We can do that. And you're not the first person to be on the show to have this conversation. Yeah. You are not alone in this. Every time I, I even get an inkling of feeling sorry for myself, I just think, God, I have it so good. You know what I mean? I do. You lean into gratitude. So what's totally. your gratitude for today? Oh my gosh. Like all the stuff I take for granted, the fact that I wake up every morning and I have no pain that, you know, like I, I'm healthy. I can just go about my day and not think about and not have to use mental energy on worrying about some physical ailment or that my family is, I mean, like just that alone, man, how many of us actually think about that in the morning that my eyes work, my nose works, you know, my, my body works the way it's supposed to. A lot of people can't get to that space or they get to it and they can't sustain it. It has to be a daily practice. You know, people talk about morning routine and I know people say, oh, I hear this at nauseum from different people. It is such common sense. And I've said it on the show before. Common sense doesn't mean 
it's your common practice. Right. I have the five minute journal. It's not a plug for them. It was gifted to me on my 50th birthday. I have used it for five years. You do five minutes in the morning and five minutes at night. And is it ever fun to look back mm. and see the trend of yourself? Mm -hmm. And it works. Yeah. I think in the, in the times of what you're speaking about, of just feeling off, I don't know what the weather's like in Utah, but we haven't had a lot of sun in Canada <laughs> and I think it affects us and the weather affects us and turning yeah. on the news affects us. So there, there's lots of remnants of why, but it's more important of you leaning back into that gratitude and we're all allowed to have an off day. Totally. Now, my next question for you is you talk a lot about propelling people to do and be better. And I know a lot of people fall into doing and doing and doing. I talk to them every day as clients. How do you propel them to understand the do so that they can be and be better? Um, tell me more about what you mean by understand the do. We all know what we have to do. Right. People do it to a point of exhaustion, a point of unhealthy stress. We can do what we do, but we always have to leave space to be. Yeah. How do you get people to do that? Well, I mean, it's the place that I'll start is because you're right. I mean, we all have the checklist. We all have the to-do list. We know what to do. And we can, it doesn't mean that we necessarily have to change what we do, whether that be our job or the tasks or the, the projects or the, the strategy that we have, but it's how we show up to it. And really the, the word that encapsulates it for me is character. How are we being intentional about building and maintaining the character that we have so that we can show up to those things that we do in the right way and with the right mindset? So even though that we're doing the same things, the way we show up makes a big difference on the impact that we have through the things that we do. And one of the, the biggest things that I notice, and I, you know, I, my, my work is focused on, on work, um, not because this is only applicable to work, because it's where most people spend a decent amount of their time. And that's where I tend to see sort of an exaggeration of some of these issues that I talk about, which is a lack of trust in human connection. And with the way the world is going with hybrid work and, you know, these are our teams now being more physically disconnected, it's even more important to be conscious and intentional about building that trust and connection. So while everybody, I believe everybody has the responsibility to contribute to the culture that we're all a part of, leaders specifically have that built into their role. That's their primary responsibility. And so how do they be? How do they show up? How do they build their character? Because they're having to deal with things now that they've never had to deal with before. You know, I mean, before you could sort of skirt around the personal issues that your people had because you see them at work and work is work and home is home. But now when you have a meeting with people, you're looking into their bedroom, you know, like you are like it or not, you are immersed into their personal world. And so we have to know how do we connect with that? How do we become comfortable with our discomfort that we've had up until now of really making that human connection of really seeing people for who they are, where they are, and making a difference to them in a meaningful and intentional way. And, you know, I think it's one of the blessings that's come out of the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. It's brought the humanness, the human centric. I like to call it heart centered back mm -hmm. into leadership, it never left. And I think we're returning to the basics. And I've had lots of leaders on the show say, 
you know, this is the, the EQ that needs to align with the IQ. And these, these are the kind of courses that need to be taught in MBA programs globally. Totally. And I'm working on that. So stay tuned. Nice. Okay. I'm going to switch to my fab four, four rapid questions, whatever's on the top of that mind of yours. Okay. First question, tell us something that we don't know about you. Well, okay. So there's a silly little thing I can actually, I haven't tried it for a a few years, but I think I can still do it because I'm still pretty limber and you know, whatever I can play jump rope with my own leg. So unfortunately I don't have the room to show you right here, but basically pretend these are my legs, right? I can hang on to one. Well, this is my hand. This is my left foot. So I can actually hold on to my left foot and jump through the hoop with my right foot. How about that? The talents that have been discovered on this show, I'm telling you, there you go. Were you a gymnast when you were younger? I was actually. And there's another thing you wouldn't know about me. I was state champion when I was 12 years old for my age group in Utah. Fellow gymnast right here. All right. Yeah. I I did one of my best um, sequences on the uneven bars in grade eight. And I was doing this beautiful landing and I fell off and broke my arm. Oh. See the remnants of the memories we have. I love it. Share with us if you could meet and have dinner with someone who's really been impressionable in your life, whether they may still be living or they have passed, who would you like to have dinner and have a really good conversation with and why? So Jesus Christ, I hope that's okay for me to say that I am a Christian and he is the ultimate shining example for me in my life. The entire body of my work is based on principles that he taught, which are, interestingly, the fundamental principles of great leadership anyway. Um, and so, of course, I don't, you know, I don't take a, a religious perspective to my work, but the inspiration that I get for the work that I do and this idea of how do we show up with the interest of others in mind? How do we serve? How do we give? How do we love? Um, he's been the, the biggest influence in my life for that. Well, and it's interesting as I've been coaching, you know, the past 11 years, I've had leaders say to me, well, I'm not religious, Deb, but I lean on my faith. Mm. Whatever that is for anybody listening, it's a really personal heart-centered connection. Yeah. And there are many people that you know, would love to meet people that are still living or who have passed. And it's a really personal question. Mm-hmm. And I think at the end of the day, when we're all feeling like you shared how you're feeling, we always pray or lean into whoever that is for us. So absolutely. It's a great answer. Yeah. And I would encourage anybody, I mean, whoever that is for you, like whoever just inspires you to do all of the great things that you want to do for other people. It doesn't matter who it is. Like, that's why we're here. We're here to take care exactly. of each other and to do, do things for others. So Exactly. Now, my next question, share with us a book that you've read. I know you share some on your website and, and you share your takeaways. What book has really kind of engraved itself on your heart to lead you to do the work that you're doing? Share with us the title and the author of, of a book that comes to top of mind. Sure. Um, there are several, but the one of the more recent ones my dear friend, Peter Docker, just wrote a book called Leading from the Jump Seat. He spent 25 years in the, in the British Royal Air Force uh, as a pilot, mostly on passenger aircraft and refueling aircraft, the big 
you know, the big jets that refuel the, the fighter jets in the air. Um, and I've heard him talk about, we, we worked together on Simon Sinek's team for eight years or so. And so I've heard him talk about these concepts, you know, throughout the, the last several years. But um, just a couple of months ago, he released this book that the premise is how do we as leaders, rather than feeling like we have to do everything, like we're always in charge, we have to always, you know, be on the front, essentially, you know, leading by taking the controls, he, he you know, uses the, the analogy of flying an airplane. How do we take a step back and sit in the jump seat, which is behind the two pilot seats where we have no access to the controls? And how do we lift others up? And what are the practices and some of the things, the habits that we can form to empower and encourage others so that whether we are, you know, a leader who just needs more time to lead rather than manage so that we can delegate properly, or whether we're a CEO who's stepping down and, and you know, helping with the succession of our, our role. Whatever that looks like, how are we lifting others up and giving them the controls so that we can empower them to do great things? I think that's a good book for you to revisit today. (laughs) You've just come full circle all on your own, Dave. (laughs) Maybe, yeah. I always like to end out the show with a sentence and I'm going to start the sentence and we end the show with your answer. And I have to say, it's, it's been fun meeting you and spending time. And I'm grateful today for you allowing some openness for us to see your heart and, and just know that, you know, we're all lifelong learners. There's so many different heart-centered leadership qualities that I, that I like to talk about, but we're all here to have joy on this journey. So I'm, I'm grateful that you wanted to be on the show and, and you shared a little piece of your heart with us today. So let's close out with this sentence I'd like you to finish for me. Heart-centered leadership is? Giving everything that you are to the things you intentionally choose to do. You've been listening to the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart-Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you again.